0: Hello and welcome to Dialog in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your editor-in-chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Sylvina Puglisi, and I'm a dermatologist at Stanford. I have the distinct pleasure today of interviewing Dr. Anthony Rossi. Dr. Rossi is an assistant attending at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and assistant professor of Will Cornell Medical College. And he also is a Mohs surgeon and a cosmetic dermatologist. Today, we will be discussing his recent article in the May 2021 Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology entitled, Clinical Size is a Poor Predictor of Invasion in Melanoma of the maligna Type. Dr. Rossi, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and talking about this article, which there are many great authors on this article, so I have to give a big congratulations to the whole team, including uh, Dr. Kishore Nahal, who led this group.
1: Thank you so much for representing all of the authors here today. I wanted to start by chatting a little bit about the motivation behind this article. What was the inspiration behind uh, asking this clinical question?
0: Sure. I think that's a great question, actually, because this article really tries to help our dermatology clinicians gauge what we can expect when we're dealing with a lentigo maligna and maligna melanoma, which can actually be quite challenging because when we're faced with this issue, it's usually on the head and neck because it occurs in chronically sun-damaged skin. So it's in very cosmetically and functionally sensitive areas. And when we're approaching the treatment and management of this, first-line treatment is often surgery. And when we talk to patients about that, it can be quite upsetting for them because they're thinking about disfigurement, they're thinking about losing a very important cosmetic and functional aspect of their head and neck. So it's something we don't take lightly. And every patient that we come across with maligna and maligna melanoma, we really try to go through all the steps and, and talk about all the different treatment modalities. And because of that, we really wanted to ask this question, you know, does the clinical size predict invasion in maligna? Because invasion is something that really steers us towards a surgical management and surgical approach, because if there is invasive melanoma and it's not just in situ of the lentigo malignant type, then we're really honing and coaching our patients that surgery is probably the best option, depending on, of course, age, comorbidity status, functional status, and if they have other pressing issues going on.
1: Thank you. I, as a medical dermatologist, when I see a lesion suspicious for lentigo maligna, I always have a little bit of a pit in the ball in my stomach in terms of biopsy, right? Which area should I biopsy? How am I going to explain it to the patient? So I just really appreciate the fact that you're looking into, is there something that we can see during the exam that would help us to predict invasion, you know, essentially would help us to, to better manage these patients early on? As a dermatology surgeon, what is on your mind when you see a consult for maligna melanoma?
0: Exactly. So when we first consult a patient, they're coming to see a dermatologic surgeon or a MO surgeon. So already the patients think about surgery. Uh, I do have to give a plug because I am on the ASDS work group. It's a policy and priorities work group, but we actually created a shared decision-making tool for lentigo maligna of the head and neck in ages 65 and older. As a disclosure, I am a board member of the ASDS and I do chair this committee, but I think it's a really useful tool. And so for our members who are also members of the ASDS or have access to their publications, then there's a shared decision-making tool for lentigo maligna. And we really discuss surgery, topical off-label amicromod, observation as one of the management, as well as radiation or even wide local excision or Mohs surgery. So those are really the gamut of the management options that we think about when we approach uh, lentical maligna. So for us, when we're thinking about surgery versus non-surgical treatment options, we really do want to know about invasion and invasion status. And like you already said, these lesions tend to be quite large and quite nebulous. So the borders are usually indistinct. They're usually not as well defined as the borders that we see in melanoma on the trunk and extremities. And the margins that have been worked out, you know, five millimeters for in to disease, that really comes from literature about melanomas on the trunk and extremities. And Dr. Nahal, who's the senior author on this paper, actually put out a paper uh, quite some time ago describing the margins needed to clear lentigo maligna and lentigo maligna melanoma. And we really utilize those margin recommendations because that paper showed, it was Carol Hazan was the first author. That paper showed that the margins needed to clear an in-situ melanoma of the lentigo maligna type, which is occurring on sun damaged skin, was about seven millimeters. And the margins needed to clear a maligna melanoma or an invasive melanoma on chronically sun-damaged skin was about 10 uh, millimeters. So you could see there is a difference already than what we're thinking about in trunk and extremity melanoma. And so this paper really is an, another continuation of that dialogue, right? Because we know that these lesions tend to be broad. They tend to be very indistinct. We use clinical exam. We use wood's lamp to try to enhance the margins and to see where the actual margins start and stop or the clinical margins of the lesion. And then we also use things like dermoscopy, uh, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, and here at Memorial Sloan Kettering, they really pioneered and we use a lot of confocal, reflectance confocal microscopy. So in vivo, reflectance confocal microscopy, because we tried to actually delineate the the borders of the lesion and the margins needed to clear with confocal microscopy pre-surgically. So that's not in this paper but that's actually a different paper that we publish regarding the use of that. So if anyone's interested in that, that has also been published as well. But what we also use dermoscopy and confocal for is to assess for areas of invasion, because, you know, usually you get a biopsy, that's just a piece of this pie, right? So the biopsy is usually just a tiny area just to get the diagnosis if the dermatologist is suspicious. So we tend to utilize these non-invasive tools to try to pick out areas that could be suspicious for invasion. And if doing, if they are suspicious, then we can do a little sort of staging biopsy or a scouting biopsy as one might call it. And that's to really assess for melanoma. But what this paper is really geared towards to see if the clinical size, if the larger the lesion, is that predicting of invasion. And as you could tell from the title, we didn't wanna hide it, it is a poor predictor of invasion. So even though you have a large lesion, it's not really a good indicator that there is going to be an invasive component if and when it's cut out.
1: Can you explain a little bit more about how you determine clinical size of the lesion?
0: That's a great question. So in all of our patients, whenever we're assessing, we, you know, we use the clinical exam, obviously, of what we can see. We try to enhance the borders on wood's lamp. So we will also mark out the wood's lamp margin and then we use adjunctive tools like dermoscopy and confocal microscopy. But in this paper, not only did we do a two dimensional, like length and width, but we also tried to do an elliptical measurement uh, as well. So, and then considering the radius or the margins needed to clear from those measurements and to give it a more sort of three dimensional aspect of it. But really, the length and the width and the elliptical measurements did not correlate so well with invasion. So even though those got larger in in these lesions, we didn't really see a strong predictor of invasion with this assessment.
1: Thank you. And then that had been kind of the primary outcome that you had looked at. And then what was the secondary outcome that you were evaluating?
0: The secondary outcome was the margins needed to clear Mm -hmm. the lesion. So basically, the larger the lesion, the more margins or greater the margins needed to clear was. So that did correlate. And we, you know, that's something uh, that is suspected clinical lesion size versus the margins needed to clear. So as these lesions got larger, the margins that were actually needed became larger as well. So I think that is a good teaching point because it really does help you frame to the patient how much tissue may be needed to be taken out to clear this lesion if you're going to pursue surgery. And so that's always a big talking point with the patient because you're going to want to know what type of reconstruction needs to be done. And if it is in situ disease, do you consider non-surgical treatment options, either off-label amiquimod or radiation therapy in, in appropriate patients?
1: That's such an important point because patients always ask, how large will the defect be? How much skin will you be removing, especially when it's in a really sensitive location, such as the face where we just don't have that much skin to work with. Can you explain a little bit more about the margins? How did the size of the lesion correlate with the extra uh, tissue obtained or the extra margins obtained? What were your results there?
0: So that is a great question. We did see in the secondary outcome that clinical size did correlate with the total margin needed to resect and clear the lesion. So we did do quartile regression measurements and I do have to give a big plug to Dr. Navaretti, who, who did an amazing job uh, with this manuscript and all this data, because there is a lot of data that came out from these from studying this cohort of patients. Um, so when you look at the first quartile of lentigo maligna clinical area, and these were the smallest lesions, about five millimeters of margin needed, was needed to clear these. And then when we look at the second to fourth quartiles of lentigo maligna clinical areas, or the, the area of the lesion that we measured, the median margin needed for complete removal for these in situ lesions was seven millimeters. This analysis also showed that for invasive lesions, on average, three millimeters more in overall margins was needed to clear. So again, these larger lesions, if if they did have invasion, then three millimeters on top of those already existing margins were needed to clear this lesion surgically. And then we do have some graphical representations of that in figures one and figure two. So you could see in figure two, if you look at it, the relationship between the primary lesion area in squared millimeters and the margin needed for histological clearance, so histopathological clearance for maligna. So another caveat is that we remove these lesions surgically via a stage excision approach, which is actually we take out the center of the lesion and we actually process that in a traditional red fashion pathologically. And that gives us the prognostic information, the depth of invasion, mitosis, ulceration, if there's any perineural or what type of melanoma it is. Is it just in situ? Is it nodular, et cetera. And then the margins are actually cut out in a clockwise radial fashion. So from 12 to three, three to six, six to nine, and nine to 12. And those five different specimens go into five different bottles and they're processed the margins in the clockwise manner are actually processed radially. So we're getting very thin step sections to get complete circumferential margin control. And this is all done in a very uh, timely fashion. So we get the results back in 24 hours. And this is a way to get margin control to actually cut out the entire lesion, know that your margins are clear, and then reconstruct in a timely fashion. So the patient's not waiting too long for the actual reconstruction. And so that's how all these lesions were surgically removed. So it's an important, important point to say. So it is complete circumferential and deep margin control.
1: And for those margins, do you generally start with five millimeters on the face always, or sometimes do six or seven? I'm, I'm not a surgeon, so that might be a really basic question, but how do you generally decide that?
0: No, that's the most important question. So from Carol Hazan and Dr. Nahal's paper a while back ago showing that more margins were needed to clear lenticomaligna and maligna melanoma, we counsel the patients on that. You know, that the five millimeter rule is not really going to cut it for a majority of lesions of this subtype of melanoma. So, of course, we always have to think about the anatomical area, the function and the cosmetic aspect. And then we really try to do very detailed clinical, dermoscopic and confocal mapping beforehand to help us really guide how many margins we're going to take. Cause sometimes in these areas, you know, taking less margins would be actually really helpful. Like starting out at three, if it's in a very functional area. So it's always a individualized consult. We try not to just blanketly start with either five or seven margins to begin with, but we do want to clear these lesions and these melanomas with a good substantial clearance to make sure there's no recurrence and that we can reconstruct comfortably. So- If I answer that question, we try to start at 5, sometimes we use 7, but in really functional and cosmetically concerned areas, we might even hone in tighter if we can and and utilize these non-invasive imaging tools.
1: Thank you. That's really clear and helpful. During the course of collecting all this data, did your team identify any other possible predictor of invasion? I know you weren't looking at any other endpoints other than what we discussed, but anything that came up that might be of interest for a future paper or something that you guys are thinking about down the pipeline?
0: You know, seeing these patients every week, we always try to look for sort of clinical factors. And really not many clinical factors have, have shown out to predict invasion because these lesions can be so so wide and nebulous, you know, you really do want to look at them carefully. I always use dermoscopy. If you're seeing follicular obliteration on dermoscopy, that could be a predictor of an area of invasion. Again, we layer that with confocal microscopy and confocal has really good clues if done well of where we can predict invasion. So we see basically uh, obliteration of the dermal epidermal junction. We see a lot of dendritic processes and dendritic melanocytes around hair follicles that show that the lesion is trailing down hair follicles. Because we do know that in lentigo maligna, that a lot of times the melanoma will trail down the hair follicle and actually go deeper in that manner.
1: Thank you. That's really helpful. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you wanted to discuss about this paper or highlight?
0: I, I think, you know, this paper really highlights the conundrum that we face with maligna and how difficult it can be to treat because each patient is unique. Each patient has their own set of comorbidities and associated factors. And so when we're approaching these patients, we really should keep an open mind and understand that this disease can be quite large. In situ disease can spread not only very wide, but there can be focal areas of microinvasion that we should anticipate and that the reconstructive burden can be quite big and quite difficult and so we should really counsel these patients going forward and that's why I sort of am always a champion of this shared decision making with the patient because lentigo maligna in itself can be a very slow growing lesion and if it stays in situ it can there are off label treatments that can be utilized but we do want to make sure that we're not missing an invasive component So it's not only difficult for the patient, it's difficult for the the dermatologist as well.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that shared decision-making resource. That's so important and such an important conversation to have with our patients uh, when we're seeing them for anything, but in the context of today's talk and for maligna melanoma. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rossi. We really appreciated you being here to represent the authors on this really important paper. And I think all of us who have heard this and will read the paper and have read the paper are going to definitely be much more clinically astute when evaluating these patients.
0: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be on Dialogues. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.